morning, Crosswalk. Good morning. Hey, we haven't been able to say this in a while, but there's a lot of people standing in the back. If you'd like to move in a little bit closer so that we can get some more people in, we'd really appreciate that. That would be great. Thank you guys so much. Um, we want to make sure everyone has a seat that is interested in the seat. Some of you may like to stand for an hour. That's good. That's good. It's weird. Um, my throat's killing me this morning, so I'm going to keep drinking this if that's okay. Is that all right? I don't, really, I don't really need your permission, <laughs> but I appreciate it. We'll put it that way. Thank you, guys. Mm. So this week, um, I did something I'd never done before. I went to, I went to uh, our conference. If you're new to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, we have a, we have a, a global denomination, and um, there's kind of a hierarchy. And so our local church belongs to a conference, and the conference was doing midterm meetings which I'd never been to before, and apparently I was supposed to have for the last 25 years. I didn't know that. Um, I got to read emails a little closer. Um, anyway, went to it. The reason why I went is because we've had some changes in our conference leadership. And so just so you know, um, Southeastern California Conference for the last, I guess, eight years or so has had um, Sandy Roberts as our conference president. She's the only female conference president in the um, Seventh-day Adventist world, and we're really blessed to have her, really amazing to support women in ministry, and Sandy was great. And so she has just moved up to the union, which is the next step, just so you know. And um, so Jonathan Park, who was our executive secretary, has moved into the conference president position this midterm, which um, I'm really glad about. We've um, Jonathan and I have worked together for, um, for a lot of years now, and he's always been a great advocate for Crosswalk, and so we're really blessed to have him in the president's seat. They think that's great. And then they brought in a good friend of mine, Pastor Patty Marufo, into the executive secretary position. Some of you know her. Yeah, Pastor Patty is amazing. She's just a phenomenal person. And so I went to support her. Um, apparently, I was supposed to be going the whole time to support everybody. But... Um, but I went to support her and was just so blessed to see her in ministry and so blessed to see the messaging that's coming from our conference about um, the way that we treat people and the way that we have, um, you know, equal opportunity in ministry. And that's really, really important. And we're really blessed to have that. And um, so, so, yeah, things, things are good. I'm glad for that in our conference and in our region. And um, we are in this series called Love Well, where we are talking about the um, five end statements, we call them. We could call them pillars. You could call them, you know, in the corporate world, we have foundations or pillars or columns or whatever. Um, we call them end statements, what we're trying to be. They're both inspirational and aspirational. And we've got five of these end statements. Last week, we talked about the first one, which is Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. And this is really important for us. Um, I spent time on it last week. As you know, I will read all five end statements again. We're, we're going to be on the second one. But I want to just rest here for a moment. Because um, as, you, as I've just said, we belong to a global denomination, right? There's anywhere from 30 million of us to 18 million of us, which I don't know how there's a 12 million swing on how many of us are in the world. Like, we need to get a hold of those numbers. But... Um, but I think there's probably between 18 and 22 million of us in the world. We're not big. That's not a huge denomination. It's pretty small, actually. 
Um, and, and the messaging that you hear from the denomination is not always the same as you will hear in the local church. And this week, our, um, our denominational leaders decided to put out some messaging that was very harmful for people in our community. It was very exclusionary. It was very, um, it was very you don't belong here. And I just want to say this. This is our first end statement. Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. We're serious about that. We believe that everyone has access to the kingdom of God. We believe that everyone has access to the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't believe that we hold that back from anyone. Our invitation list to the kingdom of heaven will not be shorter than God's. Amen. Right? So whether you're at Crosswalk Foothills, whether you're at Crosswalk Redlands, whether you're in Crosswalk Portland, whether you're at Crosswalk Northeast Atlanta, Crosswalk Chattanooga, or Crosswalk Clinton, or any of the other groups that we have meeting, Woodlands, Texas. Um, we've got some people meeting in Melbourne now, in Australia, um, and, and the list goes on. If you're in one of our communities, you belong. You're part of us, and you're part of the kingdom of God. Right? And, and we're serious about that, and we're not going to back down from that. And um, we just want you to know how much God loves you. We wouldn't sing a song like this just to make ourselves liars. Because you're loved. There's no disappointment in God's eyes about who you are. He knows you. He knows you so well. He knows you authentically and sincerely. And he has seen fit to continue to pour out his love. Who are we to say that love can't go to a certain group of people? We're not going to do that here. So having said that, I'll move on and read the rest of the end statements. The second end statement is this. Crosswalk will be a community where people learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. Our third end statement is that Crosswalk will be relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. Fourthly, Crosswalk will be a community that lives beyond herself by caring and advocating for the powerless, oppressed, and abandoned. And lastly, Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership, which I do believe to be the most excellent type of leadership. So today, this is what we're talking about. Crosswalk will be a community where people learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. This is the end statement that we'll be leaning into today. And I think if we exegete this statement, we can break this statement down into three different pieces. Just so you know, I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. These statements were here before I came to Crosswalk. From the very inception of the Crosswalk community, these were the values that were agreed upon by a group of people who were seeking to find God and express their love for God in a particular way. And so this is the DNA of Crosswalk from the very beginning. I was excited when I got a call to come pastor here a crosswalk because this is what I was coming into. We didn't have to create it. We didn't have to figure it out. It had already been done by really wonderful people who spent time praying, laboring over what God was calling them to be. So crosswalk will be a community where people learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. We can break this into three pieces pretty easily. The first one is that crosswalk will be a place where people learn. And people learn differently. There's different modalities to learning. And there's different ways that people, you know, get to know who God is or get to know really what anything is. Um, I, I've mentioned this before, but my family went on a dyslexia journey when in second grade my daughter was clearly not reading the way everyone else was. 
And so she, um, you know, we got her tested, and, you know, it's a long story. I won't go through it, but, but my daughter's really dyslexic. She's an amazing, amazing girl. I don't say dyslexia as if it's, you know, some sort of curse. I'm not going to say it's a blessing, but I think it has helped her become even more phenomenal than I know she would have been before. But when it comes to learning, she learns very differently. And so I thought we'd talk about learning for a little bit starting here with here. Some people listen, and that's what helps them grow. When, when my daughter was diagnosed and she was really struggling to read, you know, she had these opportunities. There's resources out there for her to be able to listen to all the audiobooks. And she wouldn't do it at first. And finally we were like, Hannah, why, why won't you do it? And she's like, I don't want to cheat. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And she said, yeah, I don't want to cheat. Like, they have to read it. I should have to read it too. And then we were listening to an, uh, an uh, in the first service I said audio tape and realized all that did was show my age. Because <laughs> what's a tape? Um, we were listening to an audio book and uh, it was called the Dyslexia Survival Plan. And um, the, the person who wrote, the author who wrote it is a lawyer as well as a PhD, brilliant, brilliant person. And he said something that changed my daughter's mind. He said, you know, some people read with their eyes and some people read with their ears. That was the sentence. I never thought of it that way before. Some of you learn because you hear the word of God because you hear the word of God coming from the pulpit, because you listen to the audio resources that are out there. I don't care how you learn, but make sure that you are engaged in learning, whether it's hearing or whether you're a person who loves to write, to read and write. And by the way, because of that, we are bringing back our, we just decided last week, we are bringing back our series guides in paper form starting at the beginning of the year. Well, one of you used them. Um, so we're just printing one out for Ashley, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that means I've got a lot of writing to do in the next two months. But, um, but, but we really believe that that's a resource and opportunity for you to kind of, you know, disciple and learn. And some of you journal and some of you love that. And both those ways are equally um, as important when it comes to learning about who God is. And by the way, we learn about who God is because we not only want to be better Christians... And we want to grow spiritually, but we want to have just the best understanding so that we can share who God is. And that kind of leads us to some people who learn by actually doing, right? There's, there's a lot of opportunities to make the philosophical and theological practical. And what does it mean to love well by like, you know, getting dirt under your fingernails? We have lots of opportunities to do that here and across all of our campuses and even in our small groups that are out there. But we want to make sure that you have opportunities to do the work so you can continue to learn how to grow. And if you don't know what it is that we do to kind of actualize this loving well, go to our website and check it out because it has all the information about what it is that we do. The, the beauty of learning in a faith community and the beauty of learning about God in particular is that God is leading that learning. In Psalm 32.8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. This learning is not being done in some cubicle in some library basement. You are doing this along with the creator of the universe. And he is revealing to you what he wants you to know about him. 
which is a beautiful dialogue that we get to have. Philippians 4.9, Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, says this, keep putting into practice all you have learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. There's this assumption that you're listening and you're watching and you're doing those things that God has done. You're studying it and you're internalizing it. And it feels like access to information is so easy now. We don't internalize things like we used to, right? Do you remember memory verses? Do you remember those growing up? Like, it's weird. I don't know what the motivation was for you to learn memory verses. I remember, like, in primary Sabbath school, the teacher going, now you've got to learn your memory verses because they are going to take away all, all your Bibles. <laughs> and I was like, man, that, there's a lot of verses in there. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get it all. Like, it was daunting and kind of dark, you know, when you're eight years old. Because I, the problem was I didn't know where my Bible was most of the time anyway. And they were like, they're going to take your Bibles. I'm like, I don't even, I got to clean my room. I don't know where that thing is right now anyway. But we do need to internalize the scriptures, right? We do need to internalize what it is that we know about God. And that's important by learning, by hearing, by, by writing, reading, doing. Um, Colossians 3.16. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So there's a communal opportunity in this learning, right? Teach and counsel one another. This means that we are to be engaged in the learning that we each take on. It's a dialogue. So you need to be involved in a small group if you're part of Crosswalk Church. You need to be involved with a smaller group of people, whether you're serving with them, whether you're learning with them, whether you're just, you know, mountain bike riding or, or climbing a mountain with them. You got to be involved in intentional relationships that help grow you towards the kingdom. It's important for you to do that because that's what that learning is for. And this brings us to the second piece of this particular end statement. It says, Crosswalk will be a community where people learn, grow. And this means maturing, right? And, and it's, it's interesting. There's this idea of spiritual well being, right? And, and trust me, I know I've had the opportunity over the last six, well, about the last two months to be engaged with um, some work being done in one of our healthcare systems with Gallup, um, you know, the, 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 the testing agency, essentially. By the way, the smartest people in the world, I'm convinced, work at Gallup. You may be very smart, they are smarter. Because I'm okay. Like, I'm not totally incoherent in life. I would sit with these people and they would say words I've never heard of before. And I was writing stuff down, trying to keep up. And you know, Zoom is horrible, right? Because you're like looking into the camera really hard to see what they're saying. And they're looking at you like, what's wrong with that person? <laughs> so I apologize to them. But, but they wanted to put in some spiritual well-being questions to this poll that they were doing. And so, you know, I, I was blessed to be part of it. And so I'm like, hey, you know, maybe we can ask this, maybe we can ask that. And they were kind of interested in engagement. And they said something that just broke my heart, which was, hey, we know that asking spiritual questions really has no statistical outcome, um, has no st statistical significance for the outcome of well-being. That broke my heart. But statistically, that's true. However, we are not just statistics. We're human beings. And they wanted to see how people were doing spiritually. And I was like, yeah, but what about spiritual maturity? Because you may be engaged in some spiritual stuff and really not be very spiritually mature. 
I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I have engaged with someone in counseling or whatever who's 55, 60, 65, who is definitely not spiritually mature. Like they were stunted when they were 13 years old because they walked into church and somebody was angry that they wore jeans. And that it, that's it. Like that's it. They stopped right there. Now you may say, well, that's up to them to grow. No, it's not. It's up to us as a community to create places where that doesn't happen, yeah. right? So, so anyway, I did not win those discussions, just to be clear. But it, it, it made me, you know, we got to ask that question, right? What is, what is spiritual maturity, right? What are some of those tenets? And we start with the premise that James Fowler starts with in his book, Stages of Faith. And I, by the way, I got to grow up in a home with a father who was really serious about stages of faith development because that was his PhD. So when the name James Fowler comes up, I know who he is. You probably don't. He did, the, he did really the seminal work on faith development and stages of faith, your growth towards faith maturity, right? Well, in his book, Stages of Faith, he writes this, we all begin the pilgrimage of faith as infants. And scripture speaks to this. In 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. We all begin this journey as infants in Christ. And then there's this phrase that we need to unpack a little bit. He said, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Now, this is a pretty, pretty big indictment of, um, of the Corinthian church at this time. And it's clear that we're not intended to stay infants. But that phrase, I had to feed you with milk, that is something that has come back to haunt people, right? And I'll just tell you how it's come back to haunt me. The criticism of Crosswalk Church is sometimes this, all you do is talk about Jesus. And I'm always waiting for them to say more. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, that's all you do. And I was like, oh. Oh, that's a criticism. I was confused because I thought that was my job. Here's the thing. Some think that the milk is Jesus. And once you grow spiritually, we don't have to talk about him anymore. We don't have to talk about grace and what he's done for us on the cross and about the power of his resurrection and the power of victory over sin. We don't have to talk about that anymore. What we need to get to is we need to get to the meat Right? So what's the meat? For most people, the meat is all the other stuff. Right? The meat is, the meat is your lifestyle habits. Or the meat is your, you know, how you think the world is going to end. Or the, the, the meat is, you know, what, what this group is doing or that group is doing. And, and you know, all the, all the world has, like, that's what we get to. And I, I hear that every once in a while. Like, how come you're not preaching the apocalypse? And I'm like, I am. Apocalypse means revealing. And I'm trying to reveal Jesus every day. I talk about the apocalypse every single week. Yeah. And, and they don't get that. And they, that's, that's not really fair, right? They. I've had a few of these conversations. They're uncomfortable. The problem is people think that talking about doctrine is the meat and talking about Jesus is the milk. I would like to explain to you what doctrine is. Doctrine is the way that we talk about Jesus. Doctrine is the way that we come up with language, that we come up with systems of understanding to explain to people who Jesus is. So 
Doctrine is actually the milk. Because Jesus, well, Jesus can be the milk and the meat and the dessert and the plate and the fork and the table and the house and the world and the universe because that's the God we believe in, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I get a little... I'm just, I'm so confused. I'm so confused when people have this tendency to think that, that what we've come up with is better than what God came up with. That the words that we say should be studied more than the words that he said. When, when the, the, the systems of understanding that we've come up with, which really were for us because we were the ones who were having trouble. God knows exactly who he is and he knows exactly who you are. I'm just fascinated when we have to lean into that as if that's the thing that's going to save you. Because the only thing that's ever brought salvation to the world is Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully human, and fully in love with you. So, you know, if you don't like milk, sorry. And you do. You drink a lot of, a lot of milk drinks out there. Anyway, let's go back to the characteristics of spiritual maturity. I got off there a little bit. There are some characteristics that we need to lean into, right? One of the characteristics of spiritual maturity is that you value Scripture. You take it seriously. In fact, you take it so seriously that you're not willing to use it as a weapon against a group of people. And you're not willing to use it as a dagger to stab someone. You're actually willing to use it to understand God better. That's how we study Scripture. And that's how a spiritually mature person approaches Scripture. Knowing that it's difficult at times, knowing that not everybody agrees with how the interpretation happens, but being willing to do the hard work to get to the deeper understanding of Scripture. Because what we saw this week coming from leadership, it was a very cursory understanding of what Scripture says about groups of people. And we have to care more than that. Number two, a spiritually mature person understands that prayer is in their DNA. It is not something they do before they eat, although they probably do. It is something that they do all the time. That prayer is the way that they're going to live their lives because they want to always be connected to the Holy Spirit because they know sometimes their choices are not the ones that God wants, and so they want to be in deep connection with God as they make all their choices in life. They also live in truth. Spiritually mature people live in truth. That means they're not afraid of the mistakes that they've made. They understand that they're covered by Christ. They don't necessarily want to make them again, but they understand that they probably will. And so they're going to continue to be in relationship with Christ so that they understand who they are. The worst thing we can do as Christians is pretend we're perfect and pretend that we're better because our sins aren't those people's sins. So we're going to live in the truth that we're all sinners. And that God has given grace to every single one of us. By the way, understanding who you are and living in the truth of that means that humility becomes the instinct of the spiritually mature person. Right? They are humble first and foremost as servants and as leaders. This is why I love the fact that Patty Marufo is our new executive secretary. Right? Let me tell you that. Because I sat with her this week. I sat with her this week. And I said, Patty, you got to tell me the story. Because this was not on her trajectory. I've never known her to be somebody who's like, I'm going to be in charge. Even though she absolutely should be. And she said, oh, man. And she tells me this story. And she's like, they asked me. And I didn't know. And I wasn't sure. And I thought about it. And I ended up in my garage. And you don't need to know that part of the story. Um, she was sitting in her garage. That's it. Um, but she said, I just 
felt like I could help. And if there's something I can do that God can use me for, I'm willing to do it. And I thought, that's the kind of leader I want. Because I used to know people in seminary who were like, I can't wait till I get to the conference. And I was like, that's weird. And they're like, I'm going to be a conference president. Good, great. We need conference presidents, absolutely. To want that at 22 weirds me out, just in general. Because I was like, I'm going to be a rock star. We had very different trajectories where we were going, most of us. Uh, by the way, spiritually mature people know how to guard their tongues. So clearly I'm working on it. Um, they know when to speak. They know how to speak. They know when to stay silent. They know how to rebuke in love and humility towards greater understanding, not just to rebuke, right? Rebuke for rebuke's sake doesn't really do anybody any good. You may feel good walking out of the room, but you didn't do anything for the person you're rebuking. So it's rebuking in love and humility towards a greater understanding. Also, spiritually mature people understand that the troubles don't shake their faith, right? Troubles come, troubles go. Jesus had them, disciples had them, everybody's had them since. But we don't let those troubles be the thing that shake our faith. And by the way, spiritually mature people, their lives are marked by the fruit of the Spirit. You can look at a long trajectory of their lives and you can see the good that has come out of being in relationship with them, in the organizations that they work for, in the people that they surround themselves with. By the way, if you don't know the fruits of the Holy Spirit, they are thus. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I love it how at the end, Paul says, by the way, if people have this, you can't do anything to stop them. Because the Holy Spirit is guiding their lives. Crosswalk will be a place where people can learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. And this is important. This is a big one. It's worth spending a little bit of time on. Because authenticity is kind of paramount to the experience here at Crosswalk. Um, the, I've told this story before probably a while ago. But um, one time I was, I was doing a ministry. I wasn't here at Crosswalk. And somebody came up and said to me and our, our worship leader at the time, said, why did you choose to do the music that you chose? And it was a moment of, uh, my buddy Chris Pico, we like looked at each other and didn't understand the question. Because the person asked, why did you choose to do this kind of music? And it was a really authentic moment, if I can use that word to be a little bit on the nose here. It was one of these moments where we looked at each other and we were like, what? What do you mean? We never chose to do that kind of music. We listened to that kind of music. We wrote that kind of music. We played that kind of music. We worshiped with that kind of music. It just happened because it was an authentic expression of who we were. And it was funny because the person asking was like, so who do you think you're going to get because you chose this music? And we were not that smart. We were like, no, we just, we like guitars. And drums, I don't know. It was weird. I've processed that a lot over the years. Um, what we do here is not a marketing tool, right? We try to create an authentic community. And so we try and do things that are authentic to us. I spend a lot of time at coffee shops. Now I spend a lot of time in church because it has a coffee shop. <laughs> See how that works? It was pretty simple. No, you know what? Why wouldn't church reflect those things we love and enjoy and create community in in our lives. That's what it is. But the truth is authenticity is not just about what we do at church, right? That's, I mean, it's really a basic premise of how we live. Are you going to be an authentic person? By the way, sometimes authenticity is, is, is confused with being a jerk, right? You know that. Some people are like, I'm just being my authentic self. Well, your authentic self is a jerk. Stop that. You should tame that a little bit. 
right? You can be your authentic self and not say things that way. You can say what you want to say, just say them nicer. Don't let authenticity and that idea of authenticity mean you can act however you want. That's not what I mean. What I mean is understanding who you are. By the way, this has big implications for everyone in the community. Because as people discover who they are, they're not always the same as you. And because of that, that means we got to create space for people to find out who they are. And then we got to create space to love them as they are. We have to do that. And we can do that when we understand authentically that our lives must be centered on Jesus, not on ourselves. Because when you've experienced the grace of God, when you've experienced his overwhelming love for you, there's the only one thing that you can do. Well, there's two things. The first thing you do is you fall down and worship him. We see that all over scripture. The moment you recognize who God is and how much he loves you, you fall down and you worship him. It's what we do. The second thing is we try to express that love in every way possible to everyone we meet. And that's why Jesus has continued to be the center of our lives. If you are feeling like you can't love anymore, you got to go back to the source of that love. And that's Jesus. Because Jesus' love doesn't get tired. Ours does. By the way, understanding who we are and understanding that our lives are not about us, but they're about Jesus, that brings us to humility, not pride. This is spiritual maturity, like I said before. But also it's an understanding of who we are. When we are authentic with God, with ourselves, we understand our place in the universe and how we can continue to grow and be honest with ourselves. And also, our lives and our love must be sincere. That means we try to tell the truth, to live with humility, and to be honest with ourselves, with God, with others, and about God in our lives. I love what 2 Corinthians says. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion and endured sleepless nights, We've gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us that is producing all that fruit that we talked about before and by our sincere love. Sincere love is not perfect. These statements, like this one that we're talking about today, Crosswalk will be a community where people learn and grow in an authentic relationship with God. I want you to understand, they are inspirational, hopefully, and they are aspirational. They what we seek to live into. We don't always make it. We don't always, we're not perfect in the way we do it, but we are sincere in believing in this. And if your experience was less than perfect, I apologize. But we'll try again. If you want to hold a grudge, okay, but that's going to hurt your spiritual maturity and your spiritual walk. We're going to try harder. And you know what? We're going to fail again. Because again, we aspire to this. But it's important that we are this place. It's important that we are the place where you can learn and grow and be authentic. So the first question you have to ask yourself today pretty much is this. How are you learning and growing and being authentic with and about God in your lives? If you can, if you can answer that question honestly, 
it may lead to a couple things. You may say, man, things are going great. This is so awesome. I'm glad God is continuing to grow me. Praise God for that. If not, there's lots of opportunities here at Crosswalk for you to engage. Small groups, Sabbath schools, opportunities to serve in lots of different ways, not just on Saturday morning. We want to make sure that you have those opportunities because we can't measure success for a church on your spiritual growth. But what we can do is say, hey, if we give you all the opportunities to grow, then all you got to do is say yes. And that's what God's done for us. All we have to do is say yes to his grace, yes to his love, yes to his mercy. And we are on our way, whether we start as infants or whether we're teenagers in the faith or whether we're 25-year-olds in the faith or whether we're really, really old elders in the faith. We still have places we can grow and we still have opportunities to grow together. So that's our second end statement. We've got three more to go. But this is what helps define us as a community. And if you want to be a part of it, you're always welcome here. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you again for people who are willing to create communities of belonging. For people who want to make sure that there's places for us to grow. Lord, I want to thank you for being part of that journey with us and guiding us through our learning, through our growth. And Lord, we're so grateful that after you know who we are, and I mean authentically, you sincerely love us even more. So may we show that love to the world as well. We're so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. Lord, accept our worship today as we praise your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.